Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. I am at NPR Studios in Washington today and tomorrow. I'm accompanying the cartoonist I work with at the Detroit Free Press. He's here picking up a Robert F. Kennedy Award tonight. So congratulations to Mike Thompson, and I'm very happy to be here in Washington with him to get that award. I'm also happy to be here at NPR Studios, so I can still be with you in the mornings and uh, at night there in Detroit for Detroit Today. Also, if you're heading into work or just have to move on with your day, remember, you can still hear the full edition of today's Detroit Today on the Detroit Today podcast. Just go to iTunes or wherever it is you download uh, podcasts. You can download and subscribe to Detroit Today. You can listen to us whenever or wherever you like. A little later in the show, Amy Liu, who is vice president and director of the Metropolitan Policy Program at the Brookings Institution, is a featured speaker during this year's Mackinac Policy Conference on Mackinac Island next week. She is going to drop by to talk about what she will discuss up there on the island with us and just sort of the general picture of urban renewal. Uh, this is somebody who spends a lot of time thinking about places like Detroit, what we're doing, where we're headed, and what we could be doing better. But first, last night, a bomb went off in Manchester, England, in the latest terror attack on the Western world. This time it was at a pop music concert attended mostly by children and young adults. The death toll so far is 22, with dozens more injured by the improvised explosive device. It's in difficult and fraught times like these that we turn to our nation's leader to tell us what the path forward looks like. And we hope that they're going to instill us with some hope and confidence that we are working together toward a brighter future. Think, for instance, of how we turned to George W. Bush after this country was attacked on September 11th, 2001. Terrorist attacks can shake the foundations of our biggest buildings, but they cannot touch the foundation of America. These acts shatter steel, but they cannot dent the steel of American resolve. Or think of how Barack Obama responded after the shooting of a lot of children in Newtown, Connecticut. Whether it's an elementary school in Newton or a shopping mall in Oregon or a temple in Wisconsin or a movie theater in Aurora or a street corner in Chicago, these neighborhoods are our neighborhoods. And these children are our children. And we're going to have to come together and take meaningful action to prevent more tragedies like this, regardless of the politics. Okay, inspiring words there from a former Republican president and a former Democrat. But today we woke up to our current president, Donald Trump, who was on his first foreign trip, expressing the sentiment that he was going to refer to the attackers as, quote, Losers rather than monsters because I guess he thinks they really are losers. That's a word he uses a lot, of course, to describe people with whom he has disagreements. Here's what we know. President Donald Trump wants to take a hard line, maybe even a harder line, against ISIS, which is the terrorist group that claimed credit for last night's attack. Uh, He wants to take a hard line against terrorism in general, a harder line, certainly, than what we saw from former President Barack Obama. But the real question is, how do leaders lead in these situations? How do what they say help us move 
together as a people? How do the words affect policy or move us toward a collective approval of military action, if that's something that's on the table? And what's required of the president to bring us internal and external strength and resolve in these situations. I want to talk up front today about that. We, of course, want to hear from you on the phones. What do you think of what President Donald Trump has said about what happened in Manchester yesterday? Is this the way you want the president to be talking about terrorists and terrorism? Do we need tougher rhetoric? Do we need this kind of uh, pejorative, dismissive rhetoric from our leader? Or should he be trying to uh, appeal to our better angels? Should he be trying to aspire us, inspire us to something greater than just insults? 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put your comments there. Go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today and we'll work your comments into the conversation. And joining me to talk about what is going on here in Washington and around the world is Mara Liason. She is the national political correspondent for NPR. Mara, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me, and congratulations to Mike Thompson. Absolutely. That's cool. Yeah, that's a very cool— you And know, welcome to D.C. Thank you. Thank you. What I love about the RFK Award actually is the, the, the bust they give you, this uh, really elaborate bust of Robert Kennedy that is the, the trophy for that. So um, Yeah, very cool. You can put yeah. it right next to your bowling trophies. Right? <laughs> that's exactly right. Uh, so uh, first, I want to start with this this contrast that I'm that I'm drawing here between— what former presidents George W. Bush and Barack Obama said in times of crisis and what we have heard from President Trump this uh, this day after what happened in Manchester. Is that a fair well, comparison? Yeah, it, well, it's a big difference. First of all, Donald Trump was responding. I mean, I'm sorry, George W. Bush was responding to attack on America. So was Barack Obama uh, sure. in the Newtown shooting. And they talked about shared values, American resolve. They were trying to contrast our creed to the violence and nihilism of terrorists or somebody who would mow down a bunch of school kids. Donald Trump doesn't think in those terms. The only values he seems to value are toughness and winning, and appealing to people's better angels is just not part of his vocabulary or worldview. So today, when he said, quote, so many young, beautiful, innocent people living and enjoying their lives murdered by evil losers in life, I won't call them monsters because they would like that term. They would think that's a great name. I'm going to call them from now on losers because that's what they are. That kind of reminded everyone of calling Lion Ted or Little Marco <laughs> or Crooked Hillary. This is how Donald Trump operates. Now, I don't know if he thinks calling them losers will actually do mean anything, but he is in the Middle East and he's been talking a lot about terrorism, but specifically about one country, Iran, who does sponsor terrorist groups in the Middle East, sure. although not the major threat that Donald Trump points out over and over again, ISIS. ISIS is a Shiite, I'm, I'm sorry, ISIS is a Sunni uh, terrorist group and Iran, of course, is a, is a Shiite nation. Uh -huh. So that's the big question. Uh, maybe he, Donald Trump doesn't think that rhetoric or appealing to people's shared values is the way to combat terrorism, military action, toughness, making alliances with the right countries is. So uh, the, as you point out, this is the way he has conducted himself since he, since he got into the race. And I, I believe that it's a, one of the things that 
his supporters find most appealing about him or found most appealing about him on the campaign trail. I guess the question is whether whether uh, is this a, a reasonable way to sort of pursue policy now? Uh, is this will it have the same effect that it had during the campaign or do Amer- Americans look for something different once you are the leader of the free world than, uh, than when you were campaigning for that job. I think that in this case, in this particular case, a bombing in Manche- uh, Manchester, England, it doesn't really matter. I think people are horrified. Sure. They don't like it, but it didn't happen here. I think there are times when a president is called upon to appeal to Americans better angels, uh, when he has to rally the nation, where he has to talk about something aspirational. Um And I don't think it's the same as the campaign. I think one of the big themes of this period of the Trump presidency is it's kind of like reality television without the television. (laughs) I mean, the reality of being president is just different than being a candidate. And you can humiliate your opponents and vanquish them with nicknames like Little Marco, Lion Ted, Crooked Hillary. But I don't think you can vanquish ISIS by calling them losers. Um, I'm not saying Donald Trump thinks he can either. Um, At some point, you have to have a strategy that attacks not just terrorists, but terrorism. And that was that has been missing from from Trump's uh, speeches in the Middle East this week, because he doesn't talk about how you root out the ideology uh, and the root causes that give rise to terrorism. Why do young men want to join ISIS? Right. so, and he did talk about that a little bit in Saudi Arabia, saying that the Middle Eastern countries have to be responsible and they have to root out these people in their mosques and in their places, you know, in their communities, drive them out was the refrain he used. But a, a, a comprehensive strategy against terrorism remains to be seen. So uh, you mentioned the, the president's trip overseas to the Middle East. Uh, in your assessment, how, how did he do? This was his first trip. Uh, first trips for presidents are often... Um, sort of fraught with uh, the possibility of misstep and mistake. Uh, did he? That's did he get right. I it? think he did. I think he did well. I think the White House is thrilled with how he did, and he's been for the most part disciplined, stuck to the script, with one exception, where he seemed to confirm the reports that Israel was the source of the <laughs> highly classified intelligence that he shared with the Russians. Something the White House hasn't done, um, and nobody accused him of doing. Uh, naming the country of origin. Other than that moment, I think he has communicated his message. He got a very warm reception in Saudi Arabia and in Israel. Um, And I think that the White House is very happy. I think the big question about this trip, first of all, the the hardest part is yet to come when he goes and meets with European leaders and NATO and the G7. Um, They have a lot more skepticism and puzzlement about him because of the way he's disparaged NATO and the EU than the leaders of Saudi Arabia or the conservative government in Israel. But the bigger question also is beyond that, when he comes home to Washington, as a matter of fact, one of his supporters, Dave Urban, who ran the Trump campaign in Pennsylvania yesterday, said, um, the bad news is the president has to come home. Uh, so, <laughs> so when he comes home, the question is, was this just a brief respite from his troubles at home? Or was this 
uh, a true reset where he can really start a new chapter and somehow compartmentalize the Russia investigation and stop talking about it and calling attention to yeah, it. Yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. Uh, my guest is Mara Eliason, the national political correspondent for NPR. Uh, we're talking about uh, last night's uh, terrorist attack in Manchester, England, President Donald Trump's response to it, uh, how it fits into the sort of context of presidential response to crisis or attack? What do they say to us when they want us to respond to these things? How do they get us to respond to these things in an inspirational way or sometimes is it uh, in an insulting way? If you want to join the conversation, uh, give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put your comments there. Go to Twitter and hashtag us at Detroit Today, and uh, we'll work your comments into the conversation. Corey on Twitter asks, how deeply will the president's lack of credibility affect Americans' trust of him when a similar crisis occurs here on American soil? I think that uh, is the fundamental question here. Is he is he building up that kind of trust and uh, credibility that will allow him uh, to lead us uh, when the sort of inevitable crisis happens here. So, Corey, thank you uh, very much for that question. Uh, Mara, I'm going to turn the subject here a little to what happens when the president comes home. Uh, This Russia-Trump collusion investigation is not going anywhere. Uh, I don't remember a time, I guess I'm not old enough to remember a time in Washington when the leaking the, uh, about one of these sort of investigations uh, is has been as as prolific as it yeah, has I, been. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I just want to make one comment about the um, the caller's question sure. before. I think it's really easy to imagine what Donald Trump would say if America was hit with a terrorist attack. Um, but I think it's harder to imagine how he would deal with something like a pandemic, an oil spill. Right a mass murder by a white extremist like Dylan Roof. Um, That's harder to imagine, you know, if he has to bring the country together. I think his response to terrorist attacks is pretty easy to anticipate. He'd blame them. Who knows who he'd demonize? Mm -hmm. But, you know, (laughs) his playbook playbook is pretty set there. It's to me, it's the other kinds of things that presidents have to deal with, you know, huge environmental catastrophe, uh, pandemic, you know, some kind of a, um, a mass... A mass killing that does not uh, involve Islamic extremists. Sure. Those are the things that I think would be a real challenge for him because he has spent down so much of his credibility because he seems to have no compunction about saying things without evidence or saying things that are not accurate or contradicting his vice president and his White House officials. So he's done that flagrantly and repeatedly, and that does spend down your credibility sure. with with a big chunk of America. His base is still going to be with him no matter what. We don't know exactly how big that base is. We don't know what his floor is yet, whether it's 37 percent, 38, 41. We just don't know. As far as the leaks, uh-huh. I agree with you. This is really unprecedented. Yeah. And um, there are people, uh, including the former CIA director, Brennan, who are saying these leaks are bad. These leaks are bad for democracy. You might think Donald Trump is bad for democracy, but leaking classified information is not good. 
And there have been an unprecedented number of leaks. Now, granted, Donald Trump kind of declared war on the intelligence community. And you have to wonder, is this just revenge, which would be a pretty bad sign for the rule of law and democratic institutions? Or is this something else? Is this being done out of some sense of patriotism? We don't know. But to have notes from a meeting with between the president and the Russian foreign minister and the ambassador yeah, read to reporters, literally read to reporters. Nobody, I think, has seen the, the transcript of the notes. They've been read them. But those are some pretty amazing leaks. Yeah, yeah. And uh, what's the what's the sort of trajectory of this from, from here? I mean, uh, anyone who's been around Washington for any length of time knows that these investigations can take a really long time to reach Years. any sort of conclusion. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Years. And this is a grinding so, process. This is a grinding process that the the White House staff is just in the beginning of. So are and, we going to yeah. see this 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 sort of slow leak the the entire time? I mean, that, that, that's unimaginable, right? Well, you have to assume, well, first of all, we don't know if things are going to change. So far, we assume that, that this is the behavior we get from Donald Trump, he won't be able to stop talking about it. He will continue to defend himself and talk about it even when unne- when it's unprompted and unnecessary, because a lot of these problems, almost all of them, have been unforced errors, self-inflicted wounds. Sure. As far as the leaking from the intelligence community, um, we certainly have had a lot of it. It's I find it you know, hard to believe that it w- would stop altogether. But I will say this, that Bob Mueller, who's the new special counsel, he is known for running a very tight ship not leaking at all. And that is the silver lining for the White House. Yeah. If they can get the discipline to compartmentalize this, assign one person to ask quest- to answer questions about the uh, investigation, just like the Bush White House and the Clinton White House did before them when they were faced with these kind of investigations. If they could do that, that's the silver lining because you get to say, hey, as long as the special counsel is on the job, we're not going to answer questions about Russia and we're going to stick to our knitting and talk about jobs, health care and tax cuts. I mean, that's that's the opportunity for them if they want to take it. Yeah. I, you know, I, I, I would hope for them that uh, that they would do that. I think so far we just have not seen the inclination or the discipline uh, to be able to do it. Um, no. And, and Donald Trump is, re- is remarkably unfiltered. That's what his supporters like about him. But yesterday in Israel, that was a real Donald Trump moment. Somebody, uh, uh, Margaret Talib of Bloomberg, asked Bibi Netanyahu uh, when in the the pool spray of the yeah. of the bilateral meeting have you has your your intelligence sharing operation with the US been damaged by this breach and and Netanyahu said no no intelligence sharing is terrific never been better and then unprompted Donald Trump piped up and said <laughs> i never said never the said word israel, israel. <laughs> they all said i did but i never did actually no one said ever that he had said the word israel as a matter of fact hr mcmaster the national security advisor told the press that not only did Donald Trump not mention the country of origin, although it was widely reported that it was Israel? It was Israel. He, what, even if he wanted to, he couldn't have because he had never been briefed on what on which country was the country of origin. <laughs> Again, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number on the phones. Three one three five seven seven one zero one nine. Let's go to Mitch in Garden City. Mitch, welcome to Detroit today. Hi, how's it going, guys? Good. How are you? Uh, Real quick, um, I kind of understand that, uh, you know, on this case, Trump sounded a little blowhardish in calling them losers, but I think he absolutely, in this case, it might even pay me to say it, nailed it perfectly. And then secondly, we kind of like want to hear something that's nuts and bolts about stopping terrorism as a whole. 
Well, part of that is an awkward conversation that uh, oftentimes uh, a lot of people in the media turn their back on. I mean, part of uh, answering this menace, this global menace, is looking at countries where there is no Islamic terrorism, like Japan and Poland. Hmm. And uh, we have to have the hard conversation. And it goes back to the, the word that many on the left don't want to talk about, and it's even hard for me, immigration. Yeah. Yeah, well, out there. Uh, Mitch, I, I really appreciate the call uh, and the thoughts. I'm not sure. I'm not sure I agree uh, entirely with what you're saying there, but I think that's a. I think that's a perspective that a lot of people hold, whether they support the president or not. Marlies, and I want to give you a chance to. Uh, well, the conversation isn't awkward for Donald Trump. He ran on that. <laughs> right, he ran right. that immigration was a, was th- the a national security threat to the United States. I don't yeah. think he shied away from that at all. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's exactly what he ran on. But the problem is, what's the solution to it, right? I mean, his well, he has a solution, a which is to drastically curtail immigration to the United States, especially from Muslim countries. Yeah. That's why he's in court right now right. with the travel ban. Right. Uh, let's go to uh, Brian in Macomb. Brian, welcome to Detroit today. Yeah, thanks for taking my call, Stephen. Sure. You yep. know, I've got a, uh, I got a suspicion. It's just a hunch that maybe the Trump administration is leaking this information out of the White <laughs> yeah. House. They're doing it themselves. They're For what doing purpose? It themselves to, to, to show that the uh, the media is the enemy of the people. I I just don't trust them. I don't. Uh, yeah, I, I, mean, I guess I'm not sure. I'm not sure I follow the logic there. What? Why does that? Why does that paint the media as as evil? Well, because the media is 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 leaking this out into the to the uh, the, the public, so they're they're the uh, the key to this this whole uh, huh. conspiracy that Trump is saying that they they are the the enemy of the people. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. uh, Brian, the media is reporting. Yeah, yeah. No, go go ahead, Mara. Brian. Oh, I was going to say that's an interesting perspective, but the media the somebody is leaking this information, as in handing over classified information that they're not supposed to hand over or telling about it to the media. The media is reporting it. Now, what would be what would prove your point is if the Trump administration started leaking a lot of false stuff and the media reported on it, that would show that the media is the enemy of the people because they're feckless, they're they have an agenda, they're not willing to fact check, they just put anything out there. Yeah. That hasn't happened. As a matter of fact, when the Washington Post reported on the sharing of highly classified sensitive uh, intelligence with the Russians. They went to the administration first before they published it. And the administration asked them for national security reasons, could you please not say, not say, uh, the name of the city, where it came from, the name of the country, who shared this intelligence, et cetera, et cetera. And the Washington Post complied. You know, I would say that, um, if this is all some part of a, a, plot on the part of the Trump administration? Why would they do that? Why would they do something that undermined the president? That makes no sense. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Before I let you go, uh, Mara, I want to ask you quickly about uh, Comey, James Comey, being set to testify now before a Senate committee. Uh, Do we expect him to say anything there that we haven't heard? Well, you know what's interesting about that? First of all, he said he would only talk in public. Yes. And he is going to talk in public. We don't know the date yet. I don't think, right? We haven't. I don't think they've said an act. I have not date. seen a day. Yeah. No. Uh, first, we heard after Memorial Day, um, but he uh, could 
say to many questions, I can't talk about that because Bob Mueller, who happens to because be his a mentor, and sure. yes, and, and who happens to be his mentor and his great friend, uh, is investigating this and I can't talk about it. I don't think that that would be the whole, I, I think he wouldn't testify in public just to to say that over and over again. Yeah. But I think that he will be questioned about, did you feel that the president was trying to influence you or pressure you? Well, you know, he'll be asked whether the requests from the president to, to Comey to lay off or back off um, the investigation of Mike Flynn amounted to some kind of obstruction. obstruction sure. Now, he might, have, he might say, no, I didn't feel like obstruction because I didn't feel pressured because I wasn't going to, there was no way that I would be deterred from doing my job. Yeah. But on the other hand, um, we know that he was sufficiently concerned and troubled by it that he went home and took those contemporaneous notes that he's so famous for. Right. I, I, I see that now as the president's Achilles here is the question of interference as opposed to the substantive question of whether there was collusion with uh, the Russian government during the campaign and then whether he was involved uh, with that collusion. I, I, I feel like he faces far more danger from the prospect of them determining that he interfered with an investigation, right. which you just that's, can't do. Right. That's the cliche. It's always the cover-up is worse than the crime. At this In this case, it's almost like an appearance of a cover-up. Right. But, you know, what is collusion and, and how collusion is illegal? We have yet to really have that explained to us. In other words, when you stand up at a rally and say, Russia, if you're listening, please find those 30,000 deleted emails, <laughs> or I love WikiLeaks, is that collusion? I mean, he was doing that pretty openly, asking Russia to help him, right. whether he was joking or not. Um, so... We don't know. We don't know. Right now, they clearly are focused on Carter Page, Paul Manafort, Mike Flynn. Um, but we also have the reports that there is a high-level White House official close to the president who is a person of interest in the investigation, and nobody said who that is. And, of course, a lot of speculation is that it's Jared Kushner. But, um, you know, this is this is something that the president is going to have to deal with regardless of the outcome. It's just going to be a shadow. Yeah hovering over him for a long time. Yeah. Okay, Mara Eliason, national political correspondent for NPR. Thank you very much Thank for being you. here. And keep up the great work. Our listeners really, really depend on the things that you do for us. And we depend on those listeners, Absolutely. so thank you very much. Absolutely. All right, up okay. next, we're going to talk about President Trump's plans for urban areas and inner cities. Amy Liu of the Brookings Institution is here. We'll be right back on Detroit Today. 